Hey guys, what's up? It's Rich. Before listening to the newest MTR Behind the Mic, I just wanted to let you know that this interview was recorded via Skype Mobile. As such, there was some background noise and a couple of things that we really couldn't filter out only because it would ruin the integrity and overall sound of the interview. Nonetheless, we had a great time. Srinivas Rao was a great guest. Make sure to check out blogcastfm.com and also look for his show on iTunes, Blogcast FM. Enjoy. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Welcome to the newest installment of My Take Radio Behind the Mic. Joining me this week is Srini Rao from Blogcast FM, a website and podcast that talks to members of the social media podcast and blogging community, giving listeners insight on some of the many techniques that most of us are missing out on. What's going on, Srini? How are you? I'm doing good. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Thank you for taking the time to join us for uh, this little brief interview. I appreciate yeah. it greatly. Oh, my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm honored to be here. Well, first up, of course, j- just to educate my audience a little bit, tell us a little bit about Blogcast FM and what inspired you to start this particular service since you have such a diverse resume. Um, well, you know, like like many things uh, in the blogosphere, it was uh, sort of a fortunate accident, I think. Um, about three years ago, I graduated from business school, and I found myself in a somewhat odd situation in that I didn't have a job. The The market was really bad, and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to stand out. And I had been a social media intern at Intuit the summer before, but I also realized I didn't have any tangible evidence of my skill set. So I started this other blog called The School of Life, which I still run today. Uh, that's my personal blog. And I was enrolled in this course called the Blog Mastermind Program run by this guy named Yaro Starek. And one of the lessons in the course was that a good way to get traffic to your blog was to do interviews. So I thought, well, okay, you know what, I'll do this. And so I started this weekly called Interviews with Up-and-Coming Bloggers. And about 13 interviews later, one of the guys I interviewed came back to me. And he said, I think that you should take this out. And I think that you should spin it out as a separate site because it will be far more successful that way. And he ended up, and so I replied back and I said, well, that sounds fantastic. When do you want to get started? So he unintentionally became my very first business partner. And now I think since starting uh, in 2010, I've interviewed over 250 bloggers, authors, entrepreneurs, uh, and people who are just doing really amazing things online. That's amazing. Uh, one, one thing re- regarding that, it's funny that you said you actually got to take some some courses on blogging and stuff because I feel that that's a there there's a huge gap 
with regards to that, especially, you know, you look in the workforce, social media, things like that, and people are like, oh, you know, you need five years of experience in social media. And I'm like, well, social media didn't really take off until like the last three years. Uh-huh. It's very strange, it's, you, you know, know. It is. It's, it's one of those things that I, I'm kind of bothered by it. I mean, I, I look at it and it's like, hey, 10 years of social media experience. I'm like, who has 10 years of social media experience? That's a ridiculous job qualification. Because I, I think one is that companies often don't know what they want from a social media person. And it's, it's a really delicate balancing act. You know what I mean? I talked to Robert Scoble at Blog World about this. He said, companies want somebody with this you know, substantial fo- social media footprint, yet they want your, their company to come over the social media footprint. And to kind of realize is that when you hire somebody with that sort of a footprint, the two, the, they're kind of the same. There's no separating the two. One complements the other. And if they can see it that way, I think they have much more of a chance of being successful with employees like that. No, I th- I I agree a hundred percent. I think that all, any social media experience should is really uh, a self taught medium. I mean, listening to your show and I've and I you know and, and following the site, I've seen just the evolution of the medium and how you've embraced so many different outlets now to get the message heard. You know, Google Plus things like that. Do you mm-hmm. feel that that's giving you the upper hand and just? connecting with more people and giving you more exposure or do you feel that at, at times it just becomes a separate job in and of itself well you know my situation is particularly unique in that i spend a lot of time interviewing people so the byproduct of my platform is is two things one is that i connect to the people that i interview with and i'm not saying that i have this incredible relationship with every single person i interview because there's a lot of people i interview who are really really well known and i'm kind of a blip on their radar but then you look at the audience, and the audience also tends to be people who are very active online, people who are vocal, people who are content creators. So the byproduct of it is that I have a substantial network. Now, as far as how all these other social networks overlap, it can be a separate job. I don't really see it as a separate job. To me, it's kind of like connecting the dots in other places because – it gives you a view into other people's lives and, 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 and who they are and what they're up to on an ongoing basis. And I think that if you genuinely care uh, about your audience, you, you definitely want to know what's up with them. You don't want to just see them as, okay, these are people that I could potentially extract money from in the future. And, you know, I mean, one of my really probably all-time favorite things is when I find out that somebody has been a long-time listener of our show and they've succeeded because of the information that they've gotten from the show – and as a result, they end up becoming a guest on the show. They're like, I've listened for a long time. And that's really rewarding. Uh, so so to, I guess, you know, I've given you sort of a roundabout answer. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, it, I mean, it does just because seeing seeing the way you've done it and some of the people you've talked to, I mean, when I saw some of your videos on the Blog World page, that's actually what led me to you. And I started, um, you know, doing my homework and, and seeing what, what you guys were offering. I said to myself, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of guys that he's, spoken to a lot of men and women who most of them I know I mean Ramit Sethi I'm a I'm a reader of his I get his newsletter you know every week or so so Mm -hmm. seeing so many names that you that you've spoken to I said to myself you know that this guy he's taken this medium and leveraged it to not only grow a brand but just connect with so many unique individuals and pick up skills along the way Mm -hmm. well you know it's interesting because I you know I was Jokingly, I don't really know anything. I'm just a byproduct of, of hundreds of people who are far smarter than I am. But in, the thing that has has come with my experience of interviewing 
possible is that it's not just one sort of perspective on this is how you do social media the right way. It, it's hundreds of them, and I'm I, I am convinced to yeah that there is no formula for any of this because if there was a formula, then I'd have no show. Like, like there would be no, no point to interviewing these people because they can all just tell you the exact same thing. But in 250 interviews, yeah, I've heard some similar answers, but I've heard all sorts of different things about how people have done what they've done, and I think that. We, we kind of tend to sort of have this worship the gurus mentality or, or we, we look for best practices, right? Because that's easy. You don't have to figure out anything for yourself. You can just you, – you basically can follow an instruction manual. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't lead to anything particularly innovative. The people who really innovate and people who do things that stand out are the ones who look, look at the instruction manual and say, you know what? Let me alter it based on my skill sets. And – you know, I'll use like me doing interviews is a perfect example. I, the lesson was do interviews to get traffic to your blog. It wasn't build an entire show you're, based but, around the concept. But for sweet, me, I, cut- I found a strength that was greater than all the other ones. You're cutting out a little bit, I think. Sorry, you say that are. again. You're starting to cut um, out a little bit. <laughs> hold on, just a sec. Let me uh, let me move. Is this better? Yeah, I think that that's a lot better. Okay. No, I mean. Um, do you- do you want to repeat the answer? No, I think I think you're good. I can I can edit some of that out. <laughs> okay. No, but um, you know, one of the be- one of the things I like is that that approach that you have. A lot of these guys that are out there, they interview these people, and there's that there's that almost sense of worship that they have for for the person they're interviewing them. I like that you humanize everybody who you speak to, and you look mm-hmm. at them as somebody that started just where you are, and that's the best way to do it. Just changing the instruction manual. I mean, I've done interviews for the show and for for my show on live on air and also for for the the app and recorded stuff and it's just very i think people become more approachable when you address them as just a regular person as opposed to uh, a diehard admirer because they're used to hearing that well and and the other thing is you know you, you made an interesting point you said that yeah they started just where you did well guess what they did you know i mean it it wasn't that they were who they are now four years ago Everybody started with zero readers. We all start in the exact same place. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you, you talked to us about the show two years ago, and what we were doing is very different than what we're doing now. Uh, and I couldn't do interviews the way I can do them now. Uh, it's it's changed. And so, I, and the other thing that I think for me, as just based on personal interest, is that I really, really, genuinely enjoy connecting with people like I like hearing the story of who a person is I'm I'm not just interested in okay what can you you know what information can I get out of you or or, you know what can you do for me for free but and and you know what I don't necessarily have this sort of deep connection with every single person I interview but I do look for that it's something that for me it's one of those things that's very important it makes a big difference in the relationships I have with people no I think I think that's an essential thing I think the people you interview is, is you know you have to find almost like that that one uniting factor that helps make the make the interviews more uh, just more natural which leads me to my other question just how how did you refine your your interview skill over time what what, what were some of the strategies you 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 know you took upon yourself to just improve your product cuz everybody's their own worst critic so i'm sure when you first started you uh-huh. you changed it a, a lot of times until you mastered it to where you are now well, you know, it, it's it's interesting you bring that up because my my simple answer to it is I've done 250 interviews. That's how I got better at it. But let me let me kind of expand on that um, with, with with something much more concrete. 
one of the things that I have a reputation for is I'm not a good listener. It's uh, it, it's funny. I mean, you, like I, I always joke with people. I say, look, I'm like, call one of my ex girlfriends and they'll validate this for you. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, I also realized I was like, okay, this is something that I'm not good at, but it's an opportunity to really, really refine it and big part of what I do is I don't have any scripted questions. I don't know anything about what I'm going to ask a person beforehand. And like I know who they are. I know a little bit about their story. And I kind of know where I want to start. And I know where I want to end. And I might have a few things that I, I want to hit on. Like, let's say we have a published author. I'll want to know about the book. But part of how the conversation kind of comes together in sort of a natural flow is that there's no script. I don't have a list of questions. Because what that really does is it forces you to listen. Like you don't, you don't have this. You have no option but to listen very closely because if you don't, then you can't keep building your next question. Every question that I build into an interview is based on the answer that somebody gives me, other than the very first one. It literally is okay. Tell me about yourself, and from there we just go. And one other thing that I did, and this is something that I only started doing probably in the last six months is I started listening to the interviews. And I would listen to them to see what I would, to kind of hear, one, what I said, and then think about what I would have done differently. Because like you said, you're your, worst, you're your own worst critic, but sometimes your criticism is completely valid. So it, it's kind of like going back and reading your own work and your own blog posts. Like You look at what caused people to respond. And the hell of this is that a lot of times, it's very difficult to replicate. Especially in written content, but the thing is, you'll learn from it every single time. You always think about what could you do better, what could you refine, what could you get smoother at. I, mean, I still have things that I, I do that aren't, aren't perfect. One of my big issues that I, I came across that somebody called me out on was that I had an um, and my um was I used to say absolutely after everything. <laughs> and you go listen to, and that wasn't until very recently. That that was going on until very recently, and it's very hard to sort of make you kind of realize you're like okay i gotta transition somehow but again this all comes down to practice the more times i stop saying absolutely in an interview eventually it just becomes second nature so this whole listening thing and the ability to ask questions it's just been refined over time by doing it a lot does that so i i hope that answers your question no no i it does and it, and actually in your response you you much like you refer you said in your answer it it leads me to another question, and that's audience engagement. You know, you were talking mm -hmm. about written content and getting your audience to engage. I mean, that's a huge, 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 huge gripe on my end because I feel that, you know, you go, you invest, you know, a couple of hours into a blog post, and you're not expecting 500 responses, but you're expecting a handful. How, you know, what's the toughest part of just getting your audience more engaged? Because, you know, I think... In, in your particular field, doing so many interviews, there's more probability for audience engagement as opposed to just, hey, read this blog post. A am mm -hmm. I mistaken versus, you know, so, your regular you know, content? This is, this is one of my absolute favorite subjects in the world. In fact, my first speech at uh, Blog World, my, my speech at Blog World LA was titled How to Maximize Engagement with Your Audience. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, part of why I think our audience is engaged, I will say this, having a 45 minute podcast gives you an edge, uh, in engagement because people are very connected to what you do because they hear your voice. They're used to you multiple times a week 
And they tend to listen to us when they're like jogging, when they're in their cars, so they can't do anything else. So in that sense, it, it enables them to connect to, to you in a way that other people can't. But this is something that has been really on my mind lately. I, I wanted to look at what it is that makes people like Julian Smith, people like Ramit, uh, people that we kind of all look up to and say, you know what, that, that's the standard by which we all want to measure ourselves with. That's what we consider success, right? And for most of us, that's, that's, that's a very high standard. Like, I, If anybody compared me to those people, I'd be like, wow, I, I'm honored to even be among that group, and nobody has. But I'll tell you what these guys all have in common, and this is something that is actually coming out, and you know, hopefully we'll formulate it into a blog post. It's kind of brewing in my head. <laughs> what, here's what engagement comes down to. It's really, actually, it, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's all about invoking emotion in people, right? So you kind of want to start, because look at, look at what all these people have in common. You look at their content, it stirs up emotion. Ramit, Ramit will write something that will either hit a nerve or make you say, okay, yeah, I can sympathize. I mean, he's not afraid to piss off people. Julian, same thing. I mean, you look at Julian Smith's content, it is very, very polarizing, as he described it. And I noticed that this is one of the common elements between anybody who really, really stands out, is that they have an ability to invoke emotions in their readers. And if you invoke emotion in people, well, guess what? Emotion stirs up action. And, you know, that eventually leads to engagement. So that is really my my answer. Like I said, it's simple, but it's not easy because you can say, okay, what emotion do I want to make this person feel? Well, you can say, I want to make this person feel joy. Then how the hell do you do that? That I can't tell you. No, <laughs> That's a lot of trial and error. Well, you know, from from an audio standpoint, it's true. I think from when you're doing uh, shows, you know, 45 minutes, I think, is the sweet spot. I've 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 severely damaged that time frame. I mean, my show runs three hours, <laughs> um, but it, it's easier for people to engage with you when they hear your voice because you can emote better speaking mm-hmm. to them versus versus writing. I mean, sometimes I, you can write a blog post, and that's why you got. They tell in every blog post I see about increasing engagement. Tell you, oh, you know, throw pictures in there because. People reading walls of text, they don't feel connected with you versus, like you were saying, a show. Mm-hmm. So I can understand 100% just finding ways to, to to get that kind of engagement. But the tough part of it all is that sometimes you don't want to force it on your audience either, which is what concerns me sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I have to beat up my audience a little bit because we put a lot of work in, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, the other thing is that you can't really have any attachment to your audience response. Um, that's that's one thing. And then, you know, I think back to what Danielle Laporte told me when I interviewed her, because she writes in a way that gets people to hang on her words, really. I mean, literally people, I mean, she's got almost a cult-like following. And again, you know, very few people have that. But what she actually said to me that was really sort of profound was that it starts with sort of your intention, right? Like, I can tell you there have been posts where I've written things where tried to basically I want to make this go viral or I want this to basically be the kind of thing that causes people to do something but I realized that what I was com- where I was coming from was the completely wrong place right where I was coming from was this sort of notion that I wanted to manufacture authenticity and I've always I've said you can't manufacture authenticity it's true I hear I hear lots of small children <laughs> I know yeah that that's the joy of doing this from a uh shopping mall, which is why I'm going to get up and move again, because these <laughs> rugrats are running around, and they seem to all be brothers and sisters. There's about seven of them. Oh, wow. That person yeah. must have a very hectic schedule. 
No, but you, I can only imagine. No, but you, you know that that's the thing. I, I love I love the fact that, and that's one of the the reasons, kind of like why I've chased you down. You know, you you feel you you can kind of disseminate people a, a BS interview from a regular interview because the person is applying their energies to to just being themselves. I I really don't like manufactured and canned interviews or canned blog posts because those are people that you know they go they look for um you know the keywords and they try to build an entire post around their keywords instead of building what they're trying to convey to their audience from themselves it it almost feels like everybody's trying to get rich quick using that using that rationale because that's the worst part too everybody gets into this not because they want to share information but because everybody wants to get paid you know, it's it's disheartening. I think. Well, I, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with getting paid. No, there's yeah, not. I, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with getting paid. We we all have to put food on the table. But the answer to how you get how you get paid is unfortunately, you know, Jonathan Fields told me. I said, you know, when I asked him, I said, what is the difference between people like you and people who kind of decide? He said, well, he's like, the answer is the answer that nobody wants to hear, and that is that it takes a hell of a lot of work and a lot of time. That's and right. that yeah, that's not a popular answer because. We we live our lives through this sort of lens of looking for shortcuts, right? Like we, I, like why am I sitting here in a, a shopping center? Because I hate the idea that my drive home would take an hour. Instead, I would rather sit in a shopping center so the drive home takes thirty minutes. And unfortunately, we that translates into other areas of our lives, especially when we want to accomplish bigger goals. We look for shortcuts, and and that just doesn't work. No, I think. Especially for, with podcasting, I think a lot of people go into podcasting. They go into into blogging, and they go in with the with oh, you know, I have ten blog posts. Time to start making money. And there's mm-hmm. so much more to it than that. I mean, when you're when you're going to that particular place, you want to come in there armed with information that makes people actually want to do something. You know, I've seen more more guys do eBooks. I've seen more guys do uh, speaking engagements, things like that, because. That I th- I've realized that in doing the show and, blo- and and blogging and doing the site and social media, I probably work three times harder than my regular day job. It's a it's an mm-hmm. accurate assessment, right? I mean, do you? Yeah, I mean, and that's. Go ahead. I, no, there's an absolute truth to that. I mean, it, you've got to kind of be willing to sacrifice and put time into things. There's no way that it's going to happen overnight, and. If it's really important to you, then you kind of have to look at it. It's almost about what you're willing to give up as much as it is what you're willing to do. Because a lot of people are comfortable. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to get, you know, I think, what's his name? Um, there's a guy named Felix Dennis. He's the founder of Maxim Magazine. And he had this great book called How to Get Rich. And he said that having a steady paycheck is kind of like crack. It, it's super addictive. It's continually available to you. And... It da- it does damage over the long term because eventually you just sort of lose motivation. And like you said, if you really want to make this happen, it takes an insane amount of work and often more work than what you would do at your day job. Because often with your day job, your job is just to show up and get what you need done, and then you can move on. It, yeah, it's a strategy in itself. I mean, you look, look at it though. In in your case, you do a blog post you record the show now you, now you're doing more video which is hopefully my my next step as well you do more video and in between all that it's editing the audio editing the video you know making sure it gets out there interacting socially with your audience because you want to make sure that you touch every aspect of of the creative spectrum yourself 
Otherwise, mm-hmm. if you if you farm it out to everybody, you won't learn anything. And it just drives you nuts because you, you want to make sure that you, you don't want to give that up because you kind of your brand is your baby. Right. Well, and, you know, that, that actually brings an interesting point up. Um, I think it's one of those things that, like, I don't get me. I, like, I hate editing audio and I hate editing video. I mean, it's the least glamorous part of what you do. But you know what? The unglamorous stuff has to happen in order for the cool. Oh, you're starting to cut out again. Stuff to come, and eventually you can get yourself out of the way. But here's the. Oh, sorry. How's this? Any better? A uh, little better. I mean, uh, let me move again and see if that will help. Is this go. any better? Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind repeating that, okay. that would be great. Okay, if it's, okay, if it's if it's bad, then just do this. So you can call me back, and it should probably pick up the signal, which is much cleaner again. All right. Well, we'll right, continue. In worst case, I'll, if worst case, I'll stop and call you back if it gets bad. Okay, that sounds good. Um, you know, what you have to really be willing to do is do the unglamorous stuff in order to experience the glamorous stuff, which sucks. Like, I hate editing podcasts and I hate editing video, but guess what? If I don't do all that, then our audience doesn't get a show. Now, that stuff is pretty low value and that is stuff that you eventually want to farm out. But before you farm it out, it really is good if you're familiar with it because then you're not just putting something into the hands of somebody without knowing exactly how you want things done. The nice thing about doing all the grunt work is that... When you are ready to basically outsource it, you are able to basically really articulate well what you want to have happen. Because a, a large part of being able to run something is your ability to communicate. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I do all my own editing. Like I said, I haven't gone into video, which is my next question. You, you've started really doing more video and taking it to that level. How, how mm-hmm. easy has the transition been and you know, what were some reservations you had making that next step into video and engaging your audience that way? Well, here's the thing. I mean, me starting video, again, it was a way to say, okay, here's another touch point at which you can interact with my brand. And it's not the most natural thing for me. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't love it because it's really time-consuming. But I think it's got sort of that – remember, you know, we were just talking about how when somebody hears your – voice, there's something to that. Well, when somebody hears your voice and sees your face, there's something more to that. I mean, part of why I'll never do it with Blogcast FM, like the show, is because most of our audience listens on the go, MP3s are convenient, and we can produce volume that we could never do on video. But the thing with video um, is that just like anything else, it takes time to build a skill at it. Uh, I think Blog World basically gave me this sort of natural medium in which to play and to try things. And the other part of it was that it gave me a chance to put myself on camera and see what I lacked and what, what I wasn't good at and what I was good at. And I realized that I sort of t- stumbled up on something that I hadn't thought of. And I realized I could be doing this for other people, for other conferences. I could basically make my living doing interviews uh, for bigger conferences because it's, it's one of the skills that I, I've really refined, like you said. And video basically gives people this other view into who I am and what I'm capable of. And it kind of shows just, you know, uh, it makes me multidimensional. It's not like, hey, okay, you're just a writer and podcaster, but it's like, wait a minute, you can do this other stuff too. And you're not bad at it. How Have you reached a point yet where doing your blog and doing the show have become your full-time job or are you still, are you still doing everything else and then that stuff comes... Uh, extracurricular 
Um, well, so you know, we we have a we had a sponsor, uh, a company called LiveFire. Uh, they they've been fantastic, and uh, now we're working on um, our, a few other things. So I was almost at the point where it's my full time job. Not quite. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I do I'll, I do freelance work on the side, and I, I I look for other income streams, right? Because to me. Uh, this is sort of a, a long-term play. And again, it's kind of like, are you willing to make a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain? So uh, whatever, you know, any opportunities I have to make other, other income, I'm very open to, but I'm not working full-time. Oh, okay. That, it, well, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned LiveFire. I actually use them. They're, they're an mm-hmm. awesome company. So it was funny. I'm listening to, the, to one of the episodes and I'm like, holy cow, I use that service. So it's, it's really nice to see that you know, certain things I use have just a bigger presence in, in other people's brands. I mean, I, I love using the live fire service. I actually switched to it from uh, Discuss. So mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah. you know, I'm sure they've been, you know, they've, they've embraced you greatly since they're also kind of not a startup, but they're also working on getting their footprint out there. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one thing I had to ask in 250 interviews that you've done, uh, do you have a favorite at this point? Now, that is the million-dollar question and the question that I never seem to have an answer to. That's a really hard question because uh, there's been so many interesting people, um, so many people who have had amazing stories about how they've ended up where they, they've come to. It, it just, it's such a tough question because everybody brings something so unique to the show and something different. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can necessarily answer that question uh, in a fair manner. All right. Well, let, well, uh, let me let, let me put it this way: Who's somebody that that's on your wish list to interview? Mark Cuban, actually. You know what? He is also on my wish list. He is a very, <laughs> very unique, unique dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that he would be really interesting. And then another one is actually Nick Denton from Gawker. Oh wow. Uh, um, because Nick Denton would be interesting because what we want to do is build a media company and Nick Denton has successfully built a media company. Agreed that, that sometimes you got to, and a, a few people to have told me this on, on the road up, so to speak. And it's that always talk to people that are more successful than you are. Cause those are the people you can learn something from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. I mean, that's how I built my entire brand. No, I, it, you know, him, him, and and definitely, I mean, Mark Cuban also. He's he's self made. So th- those are people that you can kind of just crib information from. Even even over the course of the interviews that you've done, I'm sure you've picked up a lot of stuff along the way that uh, that you've applied to your own brand to get you where you are. Oh yeah, I, I there, there's no doubt. I mean, I I will go back through our archives when I need to know something. I, I almost always will look and see if there's somebody that I've interviewed that could probably tell me that. Or if I have to go back and put together a campaign for a client, or I have to come up with ideas, I'll often go back through the archives of the interviews and say, okay, who did this? Who did that? Uh, um, who knows how to do something that I'm curious about? And it, it's definitely it definitely is valuable to have that sort of into into a lot of different things. Well, I did I did want to backtrack a little bit and, and talk about the the school of life blog that you were doing just because uh-huh. the, the the subject the subject matter is is a little different than most blogs only because you're part of it is is you sharing your thoughts but also you're you're almost imparting wisdom for people that are kind of directionless mm-hmm. and the i wanted to ask you know what what pushed you in that direction to start building that that personal brand as well 
besides Blogcast FM, you know? Well, you know, the, the, as I said before, uh, Blogcast FM actually came from the School of Life. Right. Uh, the School of Life actually started first. So what started that, actually, was uh, this sort of really bizarre story. I mean, I, I was about two weeks from graduating from business school, as I had mentioned. And one night, my roommate and I were watching this movie. It's a movie with Ryan Reynolds, and uh, the movie is coincidentally called The School of Life. And I just absolutely loved the movie, and I thought it was a very fitting movie to be watching when I was about to graduate from graduate school and realized that I was done with school. I was about to enter really real life for the first time, and I didn't really feel as though I was adequately prepared. And I thought, well, you know what? There's a lot of things that we should have learned in school but never did. Now, of course, I didn't come up with that tagline of, of we should have things you should have learned in school but never did until literally about six or seven months ago. But the the idea of the school of life really started there. So it kind of has taken on you know took on a life of its own. But it really, what I'm sharing there is personal experience more than anything else. It's like I, and you know I'm I'm not saying that I'm right about a lot of things. What I'm saying is this is my experience. This is what I learned. If you relate to it, great. If not, well, that's great too. Move on. Well, looking lo- looking at the blog, do you feel, and especially what you were saying about just you know getting ready to leave graduate school and just feeling ill prepared? Do you think that the current generation, you know, with 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 all these tools at their fingertips, are coming into the field more prepared, or do you just feel that they're more? I, I don't want to say pampered, but definitely more. There's more hand-holding now than, you know, when you got out of graduate school and, and, and earlier on. You know, my, my take on the current generation is that I think they're very lucky. Um, not because I think they're pampered, but what I think is interesting about being in this generation is that they have access uh, to tools and to technology and to things that I never had when I was a uh, student. Uh, in college. There's this sort of gap between creativity and technology that has been bridged in a really beautiful way, which gives students nowadays opportunities that people who graduated when I did never had. So I, I don't think they're lazy. I think if anything, they're an opportunity. And I think you're starting to see that really more and more be taken advantage of. The people who I worry about are the ones who still are trying to do things the old way because that's the way it's always been done. And eventually they're going to get a rude awakening. Nothing, nothing is worse than, than, than sitting down with somebody and, and, and not even to say they're old school because I'm, I'm not that old, but just trying to tell somebody, hey, you know, you, you really should start carving out, you know, a social footprint for your business. And they're like, ah, I don't need to do that. You know, I grow my business based off of this. And they're, they're never reaching that full potential because embracing this new technology allows you to touch so many more people on a global scale, regardless of mm-hmm. what it is. You can... You can run a store sh- selling shoelaces that you've done the hard way for years. And, you know, maybe a Twitter account about shoelaces. You never know how many people are actually interested in that. Yeah, it's it, well, it's, it's so weird because there's somebody who's interested in everything. And, you know, maybe there's not thousands of people interested in shoelaces, but there may be for all you know. I mean, it's, it's like you said, you really don't know. And I, I think that we we've got to embrace that. It, it's it's a really, really wonderful thing. No, I, I agree 100 percent with that. And in, in looking at that and just embracing that particular aspect to grow your brand, I, I've seen you working a lot more with Google+. Plus. I've been, I've been kind of having a love-hate relationship with it only because it feels like you're, you're screaming into the wind 
because mm-hmm. the level of interaction isn't there. Um, we, especially with you being so successful, what how have you been able to leverage that for your brand more so than say Facebook or, or Twitter? Like, what's been the what's been the the moment of clarity using Google Plus that's made it such a, a go to brand for you? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. We kind of accidentally ended up there, and, and I'm really happy we did. Part of the challenge that we were having is there's literally zero engagement on our Facebook page. When we, we finally we started it, and we're like, okay, there's just way too much damn noise here. Nobody's listening to us. Even if we put up a question, there's like maybe one answer. And so one of the things that we did was we said, okay, you know what? We want to do a really sort of revamp of Blogcast FM. We want to really kind of understand our audience more. We want to get to know them. So I said, you know what? We're going to pick 10 people. We're going to give away an hour of consulting time, uh, which amazingly enough, none of them still took me up on it, but they have been just wonderful people. Uh, And what we did was we said, okay, you know what? Let's move this, what we're calling a focus group, over to Google+. It's the perfect opportunity to build a brand page there. And so it started with a group of about 10 people. And what we noticed is that, one, we could notify people when we wanted to talk to them. So that was amazing because people get notified. Um, and bit by bit, what we did was we just started driving people over there. We kept saying it in our episodes. We kept saying, uh, you know, come over there. And eventually what we noticed is that for some reason, more of our audience was coming there than to Facebook. And who knows, maybe it's because we drove them there. But what we saw was that people would actually talk to us there. And we weren't, you know, getting uh, like one sentence answers when we did this focus group. We were getting paragraphs and paragraphs from each person. And it was one of the most eye-opening looks into our audience that we'd ever received. And so once I saw that, I thought, well, hell, if this is what's possible with this, what if we got this kind of a view into who our audience is and what they're up to on an ongoing basis? That would be way more useful than getting them to, to share a sentence or two on Facebook. And so that's, that's been the, the, the really the key to our success with it. And the other thing is we just use it a lot. Like, I'm on it every day. And so, you know, I always say if you're shouting into the wind, part of it is, is are you interacting with people or are you just putting content there? And it's, it's you know, a lot of the same. What's funny is that we, a lot of the same behavior and the same things that work on Facebook or same thing that work on blogs in terms of relationships, all the same things apply to Google Plus, just people don't want to put in the time because it takes time. Well, it, in looking at it that way, I, I mean, I've, I've been using Facebook and I use them all. I do. And um, the problem, I think, is that Facebook has started to tailor itself, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they've started tailoring themselves more towards the individual and less towards the brand. Like now, you know, with the whole promoted post thing, like, you know, you want your entire audience to see your post, you got to pay for it now and all these little nuances. And it's like you, you sacrifice time, energy and effort to cultivate an audience, build an audience. And I have to give you money for my audience to see my content. You know, it's, it's, it's very disheartening and it's things like that that kind of make it harder for you to even try and leverage Facebook as a, as a viable communication tool for your brand. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I look at it and you kind of have to say, okay, well, people don't come to Facebook to buy things. They come there to be entertained. Yep. Right? That's, that's really what... So you, when you look at it from that perspective, I agree that, the, you know, the promoted post thing is, is kind of irritating. And I, I just really started to become aware of that today. So I'm not going to be able to speak intelligently about it. And at the same time, again, you know, you, you look at... It's weird because 
I use Facebook to share stuff with friends outside of the blogosphere. In fact, that's where you get people who are not bloggers really looking at your stuff and pushing stuff. And, and that, to me, is one of the interesting things about Facebook. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to say. I, like I said, when it comes to our brand page, Google Plus has been, hands down, a, a significantly more valuable tool for us. No, I, I've, I've been using Google Plus more, mostly just to put our, our articles and our content but I do like, you know, I like the Hangouts feature, and I'm trying to find a way to, to, to spin that into my brand and into something that I can engage my audience with. It's just our, you know, just citing myself as an example, you, I, I feel that my audience is so fragmented, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's, that's common, I think, to a lot of audiences, right, is that they are fragmented. They're all over the place, which is why we are constantly on all these other platforms and trying to figure things out and you know you kind of have to meet people where they want to be met that's you know the 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 reality of it and some people you're just not going to put effort into i mean there's like facebook is is not useful for us we know most of our audience is on uh, twitter and google plus no i google plus probably has been the best to share more visual content you know because trying to put video on facebook you know it's like it's like it's like trying to pull a needle out of a haystack like like google plus is more friendly for that and Twitter is definitely more friendly for getting your message across. So I agree. And, I, you know, taking a page out of your book, I definitely want to start leveraging Google Plus more. I think I just have mm-hmm. way too many Google accounts. I wish I could merge them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the nature of, you know, when you create any of this stuff, right? You, you co- you're constantly having new accounts and, and doing new things. So it, it can get a little nutty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you've, you've pretty much answered everything I had. Um one one thing I did want to ask um I saw that you guys have the the magazine and I was trying to figure out a way to read that magazine mm-hmm. on my iPad mobile. Yep. What what do you what, what, you know what do you recommend for that cuz I know you can download and get it as a PDF do you do you just tell right. people to drag so and drop What I do if you want to read it on your iPad is uh, download the Kindle Reader app and then send it to your Kindle email address and then you'll be able to read it uh, on that and it looks amazing on the iPad by the way. Oh nice. All right, good. Not that that way that's an, that answers that question. I appreciate it. All right. Last but not least, of course, um, where can people find you and learn more about your content and also where, where can they get Blogcast FM so they can listen to your audio content as well? Well, um, you can download Blogcast FM uh, either through iTunes. If you do a search for Blogcast FM, we're there. Uh, the other place that you can find us is on our website at blogcastfm.com. And uh, you, know, you can find me at uh, theschoolflife.com. All my contact info is on all of these sites. So uh, I respond to all my emails. So uh, definitely, if, if you guys are listening, I'd love to hear from you. And I'm always curious to get feedback from people on, on what we're doing and uh, how we can make it more valuable. Awesome. And of course, uh, people can subscribe to Blogca- uh, Blogcast FM's RSS feed, read that on their readers as well, and also the School of Life. So... I will make sure to add those links in the show notes. Great. Thanks a lot, Srini. I appreciate your time, and um, I'll make sure to get this out to you. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. You've just heard MTR's Behind the Mic with Srinivas Rao. Make sure to check out his site, blogcastfm.com, and subscribe to his show on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, please make sure to add a review on iTunes as Srini is trying to crack the iTunes Top 100 before the year is out. Every review helps. Same thing with us. If you like what we're doing on iTunes, please make sure to toss us a review. If you want to listen to MTR Live, you can listen every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific 
on blogtalkradio.com forward slash mytakeradio. You can also listen to episodes of MTR on Stitcher, iTunes, Blueberry, Blackberry Podcast, Miro, and TuneIn Radio as well. Thanks for listening. Peace.